Morning. Morning. Okay, um, we're going to continue in our King series. Okay, uh, but like I said last week, we're going to start off with kind of, uh, kind of a, a quick snapshot of David's life because you're going to find in First Kings as we continue on in this series that it references David a lot. And if I want it to make sense to you, so I'm going to give you like a, a quick snapshot uh, of David's life using three different areas. Okay, now last week we discussed how David became God's anointed king while Saul was still reigning as king, right? Uh, and this week we're going to discuss a story you've probably never heard about, David and Goliath. Um, but we're going to discuss that story. Uh, and then next week we're going to discuss uh, David's sin with Bathsheba and his repentance. And then we'll dive right back into our King series covering First Kings. So there's so much awesome stuff in here. It's, it's, it's hard. Once you start preaching on the life of David, it's hard to decide when to stop. That's why I had to just say, okay, just three Three things, okay? But obviously, David and Goliath is arguably one of the most well-known Bible stories out there. I mean, just about everybody's heard about this story. But this isn't just another underdog story. That's, that's, that's not what it's about. This story is about faith, and, and it's about attitude, you know, having a godly attitude and having passion. There's just so many things. Now, I'll be honest with you. This could be a long one. We'll see. All right, so I, I hope... Uh, Nobody needs to take medication right away after service. Anyway, okay, let's jump right in. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 2. It says, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in battle to encounter the Philistines. Now, listen to this. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, uh, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Okay, now that's important. See, these armies were positioned with a valley in between them for strategic reasons. Okay, that wasn't just an accident. That was strategic. Because any advance from either army or anyone in those armies would be obvious because there's this huge valley in between them. Right? I mean, you couldn't sneak attack somebody if the only way to get to your army is through a valley and up a mountain. So this was strategic. Right? Now, the Philistines planned to use this, this, this high visibility situation to their advantage. Now listen to this. 1 Samuel 17.4. It says, Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also uh, had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the head of his spear was 600 shekels of iron. Uh, his shield carrier would also walk before him. He stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel and said to them, listen to this, I love this. He says, why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, listen, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Okay, so this plan they had was, listen, we got this big valley. It's like a stage. It's like an amphitheater. Okay, and we've got this massive guy named Goliath. Let's just send him down there to intimidate them. Like, just have him go out there and be an intimidating force. And the, the plan was pretty simple. Goliath, go out there and start calling off threats, right? And that's exactly what he did. He started 
hollering out these threats and, and, and taunting them, as we'll soon see. And it, it did intimidate Saul's army. But think about this for a second. He was a massive veteran warrior. So big that they actually saw him as a giant. Right? We'll talk about that here in a minute. But their plan worked. I mean, they were intimidated, and they were even more than intimidated. They were terrified. Right? So, now, the obvious question everyone asks, and this has been debated for years, because, you know, theologians have more time than common sense. I say that all the time. But anyway, um, people always want to know, how big was Goliath? How big was Goliath? And if you read all the different commentaries and stuff, you will get a range of size that will blow your mind. Okay? But it really depends on who you believe, because the Dead Sea Scrolls, how many people have heard of those? Okay, the Dead Sea Scrolls and Josephus, who was a, uh, a Jewish Roman slash Roman historian, said he was six feet nine inches. That's what they say. Okay? Now, there's a, there's a Hebrew text called the uh, Masoretic Text, uh, and the Hebrews were very familiar with that text over their history, and it said that he was nine feet nine inches. Okay, we're talking a, a big difference here. This is a three-foot difference in two different historians. Now, some historians say that the Hebrew text exaggerated how big Goliath was to make the story better. But then there are other historians that say that uh, to demean the power of God, that maybe some of the secular historians downplayed the size of Goliath. So how big was he actually? I, I don't really know. But regardless, the average man at that time was five feet five inches tall. That was the average man. Okay? So let's say he was six nine. That would still be huge to someone who's five five. You know what I mean? So either way, he would have appeared like a giant to Saul's men. Right? And and if you look at how the author of First Kings here describes Goliath, or the author of First Samuel rather, uh, describes Goliath's weaponry and his battle gear. It kind of gives you an insight to maybe how big he actually was. Because Goliath's armor weighed 150 pounds in our weights. So he was wearing like a teenager in armor. <laughs> I mean, 150 pounds, right, in armor. His spear would have been 12 to 15 feet long and two and a half inches around. Okay, that's a big spear. Especially when you consider that the head of that spear would have been 16 to 18 inches long and weighed 15 pounds. That was just his spear, okay? His sword weighed 15 pounds, and, which is huge when you think that the average sword at that time was two and a half to four and a half pounds. Okay, so that was some, some pretty huge battle array that he had with him. Okay, so just, I mean, just the size of the weaponry he carried said he was a pretty big man, which lends me to think he might have been a little bigger than 6'9", or maybe he was just 6'9 and ripped. I don't know, <laughs> but either way... He was a giant to them, and they were, they were terrified of him, right? Now, it says that Goliath defied Saul's army, defied Saul's army. In the Hebrew, that means to taunt, to insult, or to mock. Okay, so he goes out in the valley, and he's taunting or mocking their armies. And it was very effective, because eventually, Saul and his army end up running and hiding in their tents. I mean, the plan's working pretty good, right? So, I mean, this is, think about this. These are trained soldiers. How big was this guy? Think of all the battles they'd faced, all the great odds they'd faced, and this one man scared them so bad that they were, you know, willing to run and hide. Now, as we discussed last week, David wasn't a soldier yet. He was just a, he was just a young shepherd, right? Now, a lot of people ask about his age. That's been debated time and time again. Me, personally, I believe he was between 17 and 19 years old, 
That's what I believe. If you want to know why, get with me after service. Anyway, we only have so much time. But I believe he was between 17 and, and, and 19 years old. He was just a young man, a young, you know, young shepherd at that time. Wasn't old enough to be in the army, which he had to be 20, right? So David's headed up to the camp, but he is not headed to the camp to join the battle. That's, that's not why he was coming to the camp, right? And so he knew nothing about what was going on. When he was on his way, he was just going to do something that his father had asked him to do. He wasn't going up there to take on Goliath. He wasn't going up there planning to be in a battle. None of that was the case, right? Here's what happens is Jesse just says, hey, why don't you take some food to your brothers? I mean, that's why he went. He went to bring food to his brothers, which is kind of ironic because think about this. David, who was Israel's future king, right, God's anointed was basically his brother's delivery boy at this point. Okay, he's just bringing him Jim's pizza up here because that would make anybody feel like fighting. No, right? Now, by the time David finds his brothers, now this is a God thing, you can see this, but by the time David finds his brothers, it's the exact time when Goliath decides to start up his taunting again and walk back into the valley. Let's jump back in. First Samuel 17, starting at verse 23. It says, as he, meaning David, uh, was talking with them, his brothers, that's who them is, uh, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines, uh, and, he spoke to these, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. And when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Now, when David hears this, David goes up there, he's bringing food to his brothers, all of a sudden out comes this huge monstrous man and he starts taunting Israel, and when, and when David hears this, he's, he's both angry and shocked. He's angry because he can't believe what this guy's saying, and he's shocked because no one in God's army, and I mean, this is, these are the people of God, was willing to accept his challenge. So here's where we finally start to see the heart of a king. We start to see what, what God saw him, so let's move along. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 26. It says, Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For, listen to this. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Okay, so you can see here, we can spiritualize this all you want, but th- David was ticked. He couldn't believe that this, this nobody, this, this pagan who served idol gods, was, I mean, actually had the guts to defy the armies of God. He could not believe that. And unlike the, you know, the soldiers that Saul had up there, David didn't let Goliath's size bother him. He didn't let his words bother him. He wasn't intimidated at all, right? He just couldn't believe this was happening. Now, I want you to understand, David wasn't stupid, okay? He could see that Goliath was a big man. He could see that, you know, why people might be intimidated by him, because he was huge. He saw this very large, this very big warrior ready to go to battle it's not that he didn't realize how big goliath was david just truly believed his god was bigger he just truly believed that that's what it came down to see david understood two things that most believers seem to forget okay he knew that the world is full of big challenges and even bigger problems okay it's just the way it is he understood that right we'll talk more about that in a minute But he also knew that there was no problem and there was no challenge that was bigger than God. See, a lot of the times the reason we struggle so much is not because there's problems, but because of our perspective of problems. 
right? You should never let the size of your problems make you forget the size of your God. And there are times that we allow that to happen in our lives. We'll have a problem or a challenge come upon us, and we forget all about the fact that we serve the living God, the creator of the universe. And all of a sudden, that problem becomes bigger than our God to us. We can never allow the size of our problems or our challenges to make us forget the size of our God. The solution to all of our challenges, all of our problems, is this simple. No matter how big they are, no matter how big your problem, how big your challenge, the solution to that is knowing that your God is bigger. You don't have to know how he's going to figure it out. You just have to realize that he's bigger than that problem, and if you trust in him, he'll help you figure it out. Okay, very, very simple. Now, we'll talk more about that here in a minute. So I want you to notice something. Now, we're going to see something happen here that, that should remind you of how the devil works in our own lives. Because soon, as soon as Satan realizes that God has put a man of faith in that camp, as soon as he realizes that, he starts attacking it. How many people have ever noticed that just when you are stepping out and God is starting to use you, the enemy attacks you? How many people have noticed that? Listen, he recognized that there was a man of faith now in the camp. Here's one guy who was not hiding and shivering in his tent. Here's one guy who had his perspective right and was willing to go to battle. And so he starts attacking him. Because remember this, wherever faith is active, the enemy is equally active. That's never going to change. He's never going to just lay down and let us win. He's always going to battle us. So you're going to see here that Satan starts attacking David using two of his oldest tactics. Okay, he uses jealousy and discouragement. Okay, because both of those emotions cause most people to lose their focus on God. They just do, right? Now, Satan also uses something that uh, I think all of us will be familiar with here. Satan has always loved to use family members to discourage us and discourage our faith. Now, I'll be honest, unless that person is sitting by you, has that ever happened to anybody here? Hasn't it? I remember when I first became a believer, some of the people in my family who I really thought would have my back were really discouraging because I chose not to be a part of the religion we were raised in. So they were, they were pretty discouraging to me. And I found that the people that were questioning me more than other people and trying to get me to question my faith were my own family. That's the way the devil has always worked. Look at this, 1 Samuel 17, 28. It says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard uh, when he spoke to the men, talking about David, and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? Basically, what the heck are you doing here? Right? He said, and with whom have you left what? Those few sheep. You see the dig here? He's like, what the heck are you doing here? Oh, yeah, and who's watching your you know, few sheep that dad trusted you with? Who's taking care of that? Right? Uh, have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Which I think is hilarious. I could, there's so many jokes I have on that, but I'm going to let them go. Right? But, okay, listen. What's going on here is Eliab is jealous. Right? He's just jealous because David is reacting how everyone in that army should have been reacting. They should have been furious that he would taunt the armies of God. They should have been furious, and they should have been willing to accept that challenge. None of them were. They were cowards. And it made him jealous that David wasn't afraid because jealous people demean the achievements of those they're jealous of. You ever notice that? They demean them, right? Because they, since they don't achieve the same success, they attack the success others have. And did you notice that David's brother Eliab, when he said those few sheep, 
he was trying to do two things here. He was trying to demean him, saying, just remember, just remember for a second here, you're not even old enough to be here. You're not in this army. You're not a soldier. You take care of little fuzzy animals. That's what you do. I don't even know why you're here. So who's taking care of those few sheep, right? So he's just trying to sway David's faith by demeaning him. And he basically said, you're just not a warrior, David. You're just here because you're a little kid and you want to see the fight. You're coming, you're, you're that rubbernecker that turns his head around to see the accident. That's who you are. That's why you're here. Go take care of your little sheep that you're put in charge with. But what Eliab forgot was, listen, great leaders start out as great followers. Did you know that? Great leaders start out as great followers. Those who are good at giving orders likely at one time were really good at taking orders. Right? You always have to start somewhere and grow into your position. How many people have heard of Adrian Rogers? Raise your hand. You guys need to look him up on YouTube. He was a great preacher. He's passed on now. Um, but Pastor Adrian Rogers, when he was alive, I heard him say something that, that kind of, it, ne- it never left me. It always stuck with me. It was so powerful. And he, he told me one time, he said, you have to learn to be under before you can ever be over. And when I first heard that, I'm thinking, what the heck are you talking about? He said, you have to learn to be under before you can ever be over. Meaning, you've got to learn how to be led before you can ever hope to lead someone. Right? See, while Eliab's in the army hiding, David was learning to be led. He was learning the value of obedience. This is what he was learning at that time. So Eliab was right. Yet David was just a shepherd. But he gave that job everything he had. And through that job, And being faithful to that job, he got to know God better. He got to experience God moving in his life. He got to understand how God works because God was teaching him while he was being faithful with the job that he already had. So yeah, David was just a shepherd, but he was a good and a faithful one, unlike Eliab as a soldier, because Eliab is making fun of David's job while he's hiding from Goliath on his job. Anybody find that strange? He's like, well, why don't you go do your little job? It, it, David wasn't a Mosley. Because I would have said, well, why don't you do yours, coward? Get out there and fight. You do yours, I'll do mine. How's that? That's why God didn't call me to do that, I guess. Anyway. So anyway, let's move on. First uh, Samuel 17, starting in verse 31. It says, uh, when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but what? You are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock. And I went out after him and attacked him and rescued him from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Okay, verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. That is gangster. That is tough, right? Verse 37, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Okay, now, Saul heard about this this man's willingness 
to fight Goliath. Okay, and his hopes probably started to, you know, to elevate a little bit there. He probably started getting excited. And he's probably thinking, I cannot wait to see this seasoned warrior who's willing to take on Goliath. He's probably huge. I probably just overlooked him. He's probably the seasoned veteran with a thousand yards tear, you know, who's been in battle and is ready to take him on. And all of a sudden, in walks David. And, and he's got to be disappointed. He was hoping for this seasoned warrior, and he sees this young shepherd, right? And we know that Saul saw that he was a young shepherd because as soon as he sees him, he's like, you can't do this. You can't do this. You're just a youth. So basically, Saul sees how old he is and the size of him, and he goes, are you, seri- are you serious? You? You can't do this. You're too small to do this. But David started explaining to him, listen, but let me explain. I know, but listen. When I was tending my father's sheep, a lion and a bear came out and took, these are two different experiences he's talking about, you know, they took a sheep from my flock, and I went out after them, and I killed them and rescued mine. I even took them by the beard, and Saul's probably going, whatever. I even took them by the beard, and I slew them. He said, and this, this uncircumcised Philistine is not going to be any different. I'll kill him like I killed the lion. I'll kill him like I killed the bear, Right? Now, to be honest with you, in any other circumstance, I'm assuming Saul would have probably just said, would you get out of here? Go back to your sheep. That's probably what would have happened. But it just so happened that nobody else wanted to do it. I mean, it's kind of one of those things. He didn't have a bunch of choices. There wasn't a line of people out of his tent wanting to fight the guy. He was all that he had. And he was confident. What Saul didn't realize was he wasn't confident in his own ability He was confident in God's faithfulness. That's what he was confident in, right? But he was really the only candidate. So at this point, he didn't really have anything to lose. And notice, evidently, Saul didn't even follow him out of the tent. He thought this was going to be a short fight. He's like, okay, go ahead. May God be with you. We better do something. We're in trouble. I mean, that's what he's thinking. Just sends him out. I think that's so funny. Just sends him out. But, I mean, he had nothing to lose. Now, here's what I think is funny. Saul tried to give David his armor and his weapons. But David didn't want it. Look at this. 1 Samuel 17, 38. It says, Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. David uh, girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. Uh, And David took them off. Now, (laughs) let me stop for just a second. It doesn't spell this out, but it wasn't about testing them. It was too big for him. Because he said he tried walking, and then he said, I can't do this. Why do you think it was? He probably put that armor on, and he's going, oh, my gosh, this stuff's heavy. And he starts walking. I can imagine it hanging, and the armor dragging to the ground behind him, and it's too big for him. And he goes, yeah, you know what? I haven't really tested this, so I don't think I'm going to use it. But I, just, I don't think he could wear it, right? Verse 40, uh, he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, Uh, And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. You see, God had empowered David to kill this bear and to kill this lion using weapons that David was familiar with. He called David to do a job with David's abilities, with David's equipment. See, David wasn't a trained soldier yet. He wasn't, you know, skilled with soldiers' weapons. It's just not who he was, right? I mean, he was skilled with the weapons of a shepherd, which was a rod and a staff and a sling, right? That's, that was the shepherd's weapons. 
you know, uh, the staff was longer. You could walk with it, you know, the tall. You ever see those things that they pull people off stage with with the hook? That's kind of like what the staff was. But the rod was a, was a smaller, kind of like a club, and shepherds were trained. I mean, they could throw that thing with deadly accuracy and kill anything that was approaching him. They could throw him great distances and kill. And uh, the staff, you know, they used as a weapon also at other times. And with a sling, it was a long-distance weapon. But shepherds got really good with them. They were very, very accurate with them. This is what David was used to fighting with, right? This is what he was used to fighting with. So to David, he's like, it's not about having the right weapon. You know, I know what God has done for me when I've trusted him. David's like, this isn't about me having the right weapon. This is about me having the right attitude. And I know God's going to come through for me here. I can't pretend to be you, Saul, when I go into this battle because then God can't use me. God wants to use me just like I am. That's who he wants to use, just, just me, right? And that's something we can learn from because if you really want to be successful, trust that if God calls you, he'll equip you, right? If you have to become something you're not to serve God, it's not going to work. If you have to do something that's outside of your skill set, it's not going to work. When God calls you to do something, he will equip you to do that and that equipment will be enough it's just the way god works and david understood that right now as we move on here's where this epic epic exchange of words happens between david and goliath let's look at this first samuel seventeen forty one. It says then the philistine came uh, on and approached david with the shield bearer in front of him when the philistine looked and saw david he disdained him for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. Why did he notice he was handsome going to war? I don't get that. But anyway, I, you know, I kind of wonder if when he saw David, he's like, well, there's the armor bearer. Where's the rest of them? You, you got to wonder, right? Because he sees him, and he's like, what the heck? Verse 43, the Philistine, <laughs> the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the field. So Goliath was actually insulted. He's like, okay, let me see the best. Are you serious? You're sending him? Let me see what weapon. He's got sticks. He's got a sling. That's, that's Israel's finest. That's what you said. Am I a dog that you send that out here? Is this a joke? And then he looks at David, probably expecting to scare him to death. And he says, I'm not only going to kill you, I'm going to destroy you and leave you out for the birds to eat. I mean, he starts his intimidating talk, curses him by his God, starts threatening his life, but David isn't even shaken by his words, right? And David actually has a few words for him of his own, but we'll look at those here in a minute because there's something else I want to look at, and that's David's mentality. Okay, because there's a huge lesson to be learned from David before the battle ever begins. Okay, a huge lesson. See, David had obvious disadvantages, but a lack of faith wasn't one of them. But he did have obvious disadvantages. Now, it's important to notice that David had this attitude, and if this is the kind of an attitude we should, we should accept before we ever go into a battle, because I love, I love the way he says this. I love how David does this, right? Notice that despite not being sent to the camp to fight, he was still ready for it. He was ready for the fight, even though that's not what he went there for, and we know that by the way he reacted to Goliath's challenge. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't intimidated. He was just shocked that the other men were afraid and intimidated, right? Because here's the difference. David had a different mentality than we have today. Believers today, I wish we had his mentality, okay? But we don't. See, David didn't wake up every day expecting life to be perfect, 
He didn't do that. David woke up every day knowing that there were going to be challenges and knowing that there were going to be problems. He knew he wasn't going to be exempt from that. He understood that every day we have things we have to face, challenges. But he also understood that God would help him overcome each one of them. That was his, that was his mentality. And to him, Goliath was just another challenge that God would help him overcome. That's all it was. And you could tell that this was his attitude by how he answered Goliath. Look at this, 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You have come with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. Notice he's giving God the credit the whole way. This isn't about him, right? He says, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. That is awesome. That is awesome. He's like, I'm not just going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your dang head. I love this. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts on the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now, I love this because, again, you see, David's confidence wasn't based on his own battle experience, but his faith experience. That's what he was leaning on here, his faith experience. See, believers have lost kind of touch with reality. We don't have this mentality anymore. We just don't. See, unlike David, we wake up every day expecting everything to go right and get mad at God if it doesn't. That's our mentality. We get up every day expecting we're believers, everything should go good, and if it doesn't, we get mad and we start blaming God and we start whining and we stop going to church and we stop reading our Bible and we start doing the things we used to do and we give up because we have an unrealistic view of the world. Listen, Jesus told us that you're going to face problems, believer or not. He told us that. Look at this, John 16, 33. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you so that you may know... Uh, I'm sorry, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have what? Tribulation. Tribulation, that means troubles, problems. But take courage, I have what? Overcome the world. So he's saying, listen, yeah, if you trust in me and believe in me, you're going to have problems. It is what it is, you know, but know this. I've overcome the world. In the world you're going to have problems, but I have overcome the world, right? So he said, you're going to have them, but I'm here with you. So if the source of our problems is in this world, Jesus is a solution, right? But we get out of bed expecting everything to be perfect. We need to start getting out of bed every day, just like David did with his attitude of faith, and expect to still face problems, still expect to meet that jerk at work. That rhymes. You should buy that shirt for that guy at work. You're the jerk at work. You know, you're going to face that. Don't point him out if he's in here. That's... But you should expect that. Expect there's going to be somebody that, that you don't get along with at work. Expect there to be bills that are tough to pay. That's not going to go away. God never promised that. You know, there's going to be health issues, right? We're going to have health issues. I've had people come to me angry that they have health issues. And I'm like, you do know you're going to die someday, right? God never said he was going to, you know, let you live forever in perfect health and then translate you into the kingdom. There are going to be health issues. Expect that there are going to be health issues there's going to be temptations all that is going to happen and and we got to stop blinding ourselves to it expect it to happen 
Expect it to be out there, but also expect Jesus to help you overcome all of it if you'll trust him. See, that's the difference. There's going to be problems, but none of them are bigger than Jesus. So if we would wake up every day saying, whatever you got, world, send it. I don't care how big it is, my God is bigger. I'm not afraid. That's the difference in our attitude and the attitude that David had. We don't live a realistic view of this world. There's going to be problems. But Jesus has overcome them if you will trust in him and allow him to work through your life. Right? When you face those problems, I don't care what they are. Everybody thinks their problem is the worst that's ever happened. You ever notice that? Listen, parents, let me, let me give you a free piece of advice. When your kids are going through something difficult, never demean it. Parents always say, oh, you're 14. It's like losing a girlfriend. I mean, you're going to look back and laugh about this, blah, blah. You know what? In their short 14 years, that is the worst thing they have faced. In your whatever, if you're like me, 28 years. I might have a problem with a lie there. But in your, you know, 30-some years, 40-some years, whatever it may be, when you run up against something that's the worst thing you've ever faced, if you compare those two, the emotions are the same. Don't demean the fact that they're hurting. Help them get through it. Teach them how to trust God through it, right? Because you're going to face problems. You have to learn how to face those problems. Confront them. I know there's divorce, there's illness, there's all kinds of things, but here's how you face them, knowing that whatever they are, God is bigger and God can get you through it, no matter what. Okay, we got to stop being unrealistic. I could preach on that forever, so I better move on. Okay, so listen, I want to do something. How many people have watched MMA or boxing? How many people love MMA? Okay, that might be a sin, but I love it. I'm sorry. All right, but in MMA and boxing, there's something called the tail of the tape. How many people know what that is? Okay, here's what the tail of the tape is. is a tail of the tape is a comparison of the fighter's sizes. It, it compares their size. It, it compares their, their experience. You know, it compares all those things. And, and the reason they do that is to see if there's, before the fight starts, to try to point out any advantages or disadvantages one fighter might have over the other. That's what the tail of the tape is for. So I want to do the same thing before this battle starts. Okay, so let's look at the tail of the tape. So in one corner here, we have Goliath. Okay, first of all, he's flipping huge. He is big. I mean, he's got 150-pound armor. I don't know if he's 6'9 or 9'9, but he's big, right? 150-pound armor, so he's big. So big, he's considered a giant, in fact, right? Now, so we know right off the bat he's going to have a reach advantage, right? He's huge, okay? He's undefeated, he's more experienced, he's well-armed, and he's well-trained. That's in one corner, okay? Now let's look at David. David was normal-sized, maybe a little smaller because he was young. So we'll say 5'2 to 5'5, five five. okay? A threatening force as you look in that corner, right? So he's a lot smaller. They recognized him as a youth. He had no military experience that we know of, no military training and no weapons training other than what shepherds use. Okay? So that's the tale of the tape. Now, if they were odds makers, if there was a Vegas when this happened, they would call him a huge long shot at best. Right? I mean, at best. Actually, the commission probably wouldn't even let this fight happen. Right? Too much of a difference. That's the tale of the tape. Right, now let's take a look at the difference in strategies. Because there is strategies here. Okay, 1 Samuel 17, 48. 
It said, Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Okay, Goliath used traditional weapons of war. Okay, spears, swords, things like that. So Goliath had to be close to the person he was going to kill. Right? He had to be close. I'm not thinking he's throwing that spear too far. Right? Two and a half inches around, 15 feet long, 15 pounds on the end. I don't think it's a 100-yard weapon. Right? But he needed to be in close proximity with the person he was fighting with. Right? Now, David used a shepherd's weapons. And they're actually designed to be used at a distance. A sling. A rod. Something they learned to throw. They're used at a distance. 1 Samuel 17, 39. It says... And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it. And it struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Can you imagine that? I mean, the stone sunk in his head. You know, they don't show that in the cartoons, do they? I mean, it sunk in his head. That's graphic. Right? Verse 50. Then David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran over and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it uh, out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Okay? Uh, When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Okay? Now listen. Here was David's strategy. I can't get close to that guy. That was David's strategy. I'm not going to get close enough to where he can swing that massive piece of steel at me and cut me in half. I'm not going to get close enough where he can throw that massive spear and knock the head clean off my shoulders. I'm not going to get close enough for him to be able to use his weapons against me. I just need to get close enough to use the weapons God has empowered me to use. I have to get close enough for my sling. I have to get close enough for my rod. That's how close I have to get to him. I cannot get close enough to allow him to be able to get a hold of me. See, here's another problem we have, believers. We get too close to the enemy sometimes. And we get within the enemy's reach. And you know what happens? We just can't avoid injury when you allow yourself to get so close to the enemy that you give him the advantage. You see where I'm going with this? You've got to understand the weapons of the enemy and understand your weaknesses and your capabilities and stay outside of the range of the enemy's weapons. That's what we have to do. We have to stay out of the range. That means know your weaknesses, know what tempts you, and stay away from it. Stay away from it. So many people act like they slip into temptation. Very seldom is it a slip. It's usually an an intentioned climb or, or walk right into it. You allow yourself to get within the reach of the enemy. You don't have any plan whatsoever. You know, I have people come to me and say, yeah, you know, I committed adultery. I just slipped and I was in adultery. And I'm like, to my knowledge, that's not how it works. You know, you don't just fall into adultery. You might have got within the enemy's reach. Oh, you know, I've, you know I've, I've been clean on drugs for five years and all of a sudden I just slipped back into it. No, you got in the enemy's proximity. You were where you shouldn't be closer than you should have been, and you got hit with the enemy's weapon because you didn't understand the value of distance. 
You didn't understand that, so you got caught. Listen, if we understand our weaknesses, and we understand the strengths of the enemy, which is knowing what tempts you and presenting it to you, that's the enemy's strength. We need to stay far enough away from those temptations to where he can't reach us. We need to be able to see him coming and get out. Listen, someone asked me, this might shock you, but I used to have a really bad temper. <laughs> and someone asked me one time, they said, how did you get over your temper? And I said, I didn't. They said, what do you mean? You're a Christian. I go, yeah, I'm a Christian with a bad temper. And they're like, well, how do you keep from going off? I said, God has given me the good common sense to know when things are turning that way. And I leave. You know, used to, I would sit and wait for it to turn that way because I couldn't wait to get involved in it. Right? But now, from a distance, when I see things turning the direction that could lead to a battle, I don't get close enough to get struck by the enemy's weaponry. When I see things are getting bad, I leave. And if I don't see it, my wife does. You know, my wife will go, okay, time to go, Chris, when somebody starts running their mouth, you know? It's not that I have learned to overcome my temper. I have learned how close to get to the enemy where he can strike me, and I stay out of that range because that's the deadly area is within their ability to strike. David understood that, right? Now, listen, believe me, there, I want to preach so much more about this, but time won't allow it, but so many people hear this story, and they go, that's a great story, but how's that relevant to us? And I, I mean, I think I've kind of explained that because, you know, we all have things in our lives that appear to be giants, and it's just us. I mean, you might look at someone else's problem and say, that doesn't seem like that big a deal. Well, that's because it's not happening to you. That's not your struggle. If it were your struggle, it would be a big deal, right? We all have giants that we face, things that terrify us, things that, that just seem too big to take on. I mean, illness, divorce, addiction, money issues, depression, anxiety. There's so many things, so many giants out there that we have to face, and, it, and it's not going to go away. Right? The difference is we have to learn to expect them and know how to combat them and have a plan and trust that anything we face, God can get us through it. That's the difference. I mean, what we learn from David here is the most powerful weapon we have is our faith. That's the most powerful weapon we have. And if you wake up every day expecting to see the giant, you're much more prepared to take him on. Just listen, when you wake up, don't wake up going, today's going to be perfect and nobody's going to give me any problems. You know, I've never had that day, ever. You know, get out of bed saying, you know what? I'm sure I'm going to face problems today, big ones. But they're not going to be bigger than my God. And whatever it is, I can overcome it because Jesus said he's overcome the world. So you know what the, the, the trick to overcoming those problems is? Stay close to Jesus. That's the lesson we can learn from this. Now, I'm going to, I'll pick up there next week. We're going to go ahead and have to sh close right there if you just bow your heads. Now, if this is your first time, we always like to give a, an invitation, and the reason is we just believe the Word of God's powerful. And I don't do those altar calls where I ask people to come down, and I, I just don't do that stuff. And here's why, you know, I believe in the power of prayer, and I believe that God is the one that calls us and the one that regenerates us. And the one that keeps us. And if he's speaking to you, I just want to pray for you. So while every head is bowed, if you'd like me to pray for you, just make eye contact with me. Put your head right back down. I'm not going to point you out. But those people, listen, if you're, if you're listening online or watching online, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you too. But today, 
you know, this is one of those messages, at least for me, that convicted me a little. Because, you know, we're pretty easily ran off to our tents like those soldiers, aren't we? We're too easily intimidated. And we too quickly forget that there's nothing bigger than our God. So for believers, I want to pray that, that we remember that. Because we need more Davids. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you that you love us despite us. And I thank you, Lord, that when we couldn't, you did. When it became obvious to us that there was no way we'd ever be righteous, you sent us the righteousness of your son. I thank you for his death. I thank you for his burial. And I thank you for his resurrection. And I thank you that through that, we have the opportunity to have eternal life. And I just pray if there's someone here who doesn't know you, that whatever's holding them back, they would just push it aside and trust in your promise. That if they believe that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee their eternal life, your word promises they'll have it. If they make that decision today, God, I just pray that they contact us or a good Christian friend or organization near them. But Lord, for those of us who are believers, it is so easy to let the opposite team, to let the world intimidate us. It's so easy to forget that no matter how big the enemy is or the world's attack is, you're bigger. Give us the boldness and the confidence to allow you to help us overcome. Give us the confidence that's willing to step out and trust that you've already got the battle won. Let us be powerful warriors for you, God. There are so many people that need to know you, so many people that we could touch, that you could use us to touch other people. And we just pray, God, that we, our courage increases and we start to believe like David believed. We pray, God, as we leave here today that you would keep us safe and let us live what we profess. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, I just pray, God, that we would come together again excited to hear your word at least one more time. We just thank you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.